Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, August 28th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, because we did a special episode yesterday in honor of the passing of the late, great Neil Simon, we didn't get a chance to plug Jan Simpson's Stagecraft episode that came out on Saturday. She spoke with James Magruder, who has an interesting title for the Broadway musical Head Over Heels. He is credited as adapting a book that was originally written by Jeff Witte, which originally adapted a 15th century epic poem. So it's a weird kind of combination on how he got there. Uh, James Magruder is, has a really interesting background. He wrote the book for triumph of love, but he also adapts classic work. So this kind of fit into a lot of what he does. And it was a really great interview as always with Jan. Yeah, it was a really great interview. And, uh, it told us uh, a lot of interesting um, about the Genesis and the uh, how Head Over Heels changed and things like that. And it sort of, I thought, sort of threw a little bit of shade at Gwyneth Paltrow there. Did you? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to bring it up because people get angry at me when I throw shade at Gwyneth Paltrow. But she has been. Um, noticeably absent from everything head over heels once the show got to Broadway. And I know she had some, uh, you know, some, some not so great press about goop, uh, right about the time that the show was beginning previews. Mm -hmm. So perhaps that has something to do with it, but you know, the, the word on the street is, is that they are recording and they might've done it yesterday, uh, recording a cast album, but they currently do not have plans for distribution yet because that costs money. I would imagine that Gwyneth Paltrow could shake, you know, her her couch cushions and come up with enough money to fund that cast album if she really wanted to. But apparently that is not what's going on now. Again, she is under no obligation to do that. But I just want people to reassess the uh, anger they directed towards me <laughs> when I expressed concern over her being a lead Broadway producer. I mean, getting the band back together has got a uh, cast album, you know, <laughs> I mean, I yeah, and I and I honestly think that Head Over Heels has a better licensing yeah. future than getting the band back together does. Sure. One, Head Over Heels obviously has – it's going to not be something that can be done in a certain sector of the country. It's not a show that's going to appeal to a certain demographic in certain parts of, say, the South and Midwest. However, it's a female-dominated show. It's got pop music that people are aware of. I think those are things that are probably going to make it much more attractive than the male heavy generic, not so great score of getting the band back together. So I think it would benefit far more from having a cast album than would GTTBTBTTB. <laughs> getting the, I can't remember what the acronym is for getting the band back together. <laughs> and I think head over heels will play every college. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one other thing before we get into the news, James, I am sure you are aware what a SIG dig is, right? Mm hmm. SIG dig is the significant digit, the daily thing that uh, 538 puts out. Their SIG dig for Monday is 9,000 performances. And this relates to Neil Simon saying that um, between 1965 and 1980, his plays were performed 9,000 times, according to the New York Times, quote, a record not even remotely touched by any other playwright of the era. And that goes back to what, yeah, especially Peter mentioned uh, on yesterday's episode, how 
it just became commonplace for a new Neil Simon play to come to Broadway every year, oftentimes with different shows running concurrently on Broadway. Um, and it just really goes to show you how prolific and how important and how omnipresent Neil Simon's work was for about four decades on Broadway. Well, that leads right into the first story of the day, the, that Broadway is to dim lights for Neil Simon this week. Yeah, we've had, uh, unfortunately, it seems like these co- these things come in, in rashes, but um, we've had a number of people pass away in the Broadway community, and I'm hoping that some of these other people, Barbara Harris and, and, and Craig Zayden, will have lights dimmed for them as well. But the first one to be announced was for Neil Simon. The Broadway League announced yesterday that pass, uh, following the passing of Neil Simon on Sunday, the theaters will dim their lights on Broadway on Thursday, August 30th at exactly 6.45 p.m. for one minute. Tommy Schumacher, the chairman of the Broadway League, said, quote, Neil Simon's plays are a testament to the human experience. He made audiences laugh, cry, and think. No other American playwright has had as many performances or as many shows in production simultaneously on Broadway. The outpouring of accolades and personal memories being shared since his death are a tribute to how deeply he influenced our culture and touched the lives of literally millions of theater goers. Um, so if you are in the theater community, James, is it going to be dark by 645? I, I know you guys are further east than I am, but it, that seems a little early. I don't think it'll be dark by uh, 645 on Thursday, will it? No, it doesn't feel like it. I, I could be wrong, but it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, so it's a, it loses a little impact, I think, when it's not dark out yet. But obviously, you have to get that in before curtain times. But uh, if you're in the theater district, take a second, take that pause at 645 to uh, remember all the wonderful shows and plays and musicals and TV shows and movies that Neil Simon helped bring into the world. Um, right after, uh, right after we saw the news of Mr. Simon's passing, uh, your colleague Michael Dale posted on Facebook that that he hoped that they would not dim the lights on Broadway for Neil Simon. That he hoped that they would make them bright, burn twice as bright for an extra minute. And I thought that that, that would was be really cool. really nice. Well, I'd also like to see if the only theater that didn't dim its lights yeah. was the Neil Simon theater. Cause it actually says it has a little Neil at the top and then huge Simon. I, I'd love it. If, if the Neil Simon theater chose to keep their lights bright uh, in honor of their namesake. Hmm. All right. What did we have in last week's Broadway grosses? It was another down week for the Broadway box office, James, as the total receipts dipped just over 5% or roughly $1.8 million. In total, The Great White Way's 30 shows, which was the same number as the previous week, grossed $33,662,782 last week, but only six shows saw weekly numbers in the black. They were Hello, Dolly! in its final frame, which picked up an extra $195,000, Hamilton, which saw a 134K surge, Pretty Woman, which picked up near nearly 90,000 post opening Anastasia straight white men and getting the band back together. Although I wouldn't get my hopes up for that one just yet. We'll get back to it. Um, Hamilton of course led the way at $3.25 million followed by the closing Dolly at 2.34 Harry Potter at 2.19 and the Lion King at 2.16 frozen came in at 1,988,000 for its first sub 2 million week since the week ending on July 1st Springsteen played only four shows, but still grossed 1.93 million followed by Dear Evan Hansen, Mean Girls, Wicked, Aladdin, My Fair Lady, Pretty Woman, The Book of Mormon and Come from away all above seven figures other than springsteen which dropped a performance 
The biggest dip came at the Brooks Atkinson as Catherine McPhee exited Waitress. The musical dropped $327,573 in the week between McPhee and Nicolette Robinson, who will start after Labor Day. Despite being one of the six shows to pick up money week over week, GTBP, dang it, I told you I can't get this right, GTBBT was still significantly behind in terms of receipts. It pulled in only $181,549, nearly $60,000 behind Head Over Heels' $240K. Both of those numbers are obviously unsustainable, James. It doesn't take someone with an MBA to figure that out like you do, um, but it We'll be interested to see how long the producers hold out, whether it's for the subsidiary rights, which you often mention, or they want to get the um, the cast album out or something. Um, also, Once on This Island dipped 47000 to come in at the palindromic $411,114, its second lowest total for an eight-show week during its entire Broadway run. Now, James, Labor Day weekend is just a few days away, so it would be, in my opinion, monstrously irresponsible for many reasons for a show to close between next week and the holidays. But I don't know how some of these shows can make it past this weekend. Uh, I mean, do you think that any of them are going to post notice at half hour tonight? I wish if they were, I wish they would have done it a few weeks ago to get more momentum going into closing. Or do you think that they're going to suffer through the next two and a half months and hope for the best during the holiday season? Well, it really depends upon if somebody really wants their theaters for the spring. Uh, so if somebody is putting the pressure on them to get out, otherwise, if they've, you know, if the theater owners don't want to execute a stop clause, and uh, and they have enough money to keep burning to get into uh, what they anticipate is going to be uh, some sort of box office recovery for the fall. Um, I think that you're right. I think we we either are going to hear some news very soon or they're going to stay through the holidays. Well, it, I, with some of these shows, getting the band back together, head over heels, maybe even once on this island, you, I believe you use the correct phrase, burning money, because uh, I don't see how those shows have any opportunity, especially getting the band back together and head over heels. I just don't see how those shows have a path to profitability. Once on this island has been running long enough at a decent clip in a small theater at a fairly, I think, cost efficient nut that they could, if they hold on long enough and have some good uh, surges around the holidays and maybe if they stay open in the spring and summer again, I could see them somehow squeaking out to profitability. Head over heels and get the band back together, though. I mean, I can't imagine they've even made half of their weekly running costs at this point. So it seems illogical to think that they will ever be able to make money. So if they're going to continue to keep that show open, it looks like it's just throwing good money after bad. So um I am not a Broadway producer, but it seems to me that if they're going to keep it running, it is going to be for other reasons than trying to turn a profit. Whether that's a tax write-off or not, I don't know, but it just seems odd uh, to to spend more money on something that you know is just going to be losing if your ultimate goal is profitability. So you have the Miss Cleo character that uh, that predicts for the future. Now we have a little <laughs> Spock character that uh, analyzes these numbers. So uh, that's your Spock. It's illogical to keep running. 
Well, <laughs> see, Spock. Spock is is unemotional. I get a little emotional about some of these things. Ah, so, uh, and true. and I don't watch I don't watch Star Trek. So uh, okay. I've never seen. I've seen a few episodes of Next Generation, but that's it. I don't think I've seen any other ones. All right. Well, you know, we just lost Rob. Uh, Rob Johnson just turned us off. All <laughs> Sorry, right. Rob. Uh, so, what do we have in the recommendation section? All right, two articles, and we'll get through them real quick. One is is from our friend Mark Hirschberg over at uh, Forbes. He released this last week, and because of everything going on, we didn't get to it. But despite the fact that Pretty Woman seems to be doing pretty well on Broadway, I would almost call it critic-proof so far, um, he has an article about a, a an academic algorithm that predicts a disappointing life on Broadway for Pretty Woman. Apparently, this algorithm looks at a bunch of factors uh, when it comes to movies being adapted to musicals, and uh, it claims to be accurate four-fifths of the time in predicting whether a show is going to be profitable or not, whether it's going to recoup its initial investment. The algorithm, quote, focuses on the critical reception of the film, the length of time between the film and the musical adaptation, the previous success of the selected Broadway director, and this is interesting, whether or not the music is sung in the film. So if the the musical's songs come directly from the film or if they were written for the stage. Um, it's interesting. I you know, I, I we've talked a lot about the analytics in in theater and how it crosses over to things like 538, which I mentioned at the top of the show, whether it's the sports or politics. I think it is it's not comparing apples to oranges. I think it's comparing apples to bowling balls. Those things are so different that in theater, it's hard to calculate art and sensibilities when you're talking about sports and politics, which comes down to numbers, polling and votes, those are actual hard um, facts that lead to wins. It is really hard to predict what artistic sensibilities are going to appeal to people. So I, I appreciate people who try to boil things down to data and analytics. I just don't think it's actually possible 100 percent when it comes to any type of art form, but especially theater which is much more audience-driven than critic-driven nowadays. I've seen lots of people try to do similar things uh, with not only with Broadway, but with actually fine arts, uh, uh, painting and sculpture and things like that. Uh, when I worked at Lehman Brothers, uh, one of the traders there uh, was – trading in fine arts he re, he would buy and sell uh artwork at sotheby's and the other large houses and try to build an algorithm that would predict their values and just like you're saying it's really impossible the other thing is is that they're saying that this algorithm that they've developed uh, that hirschberg is talking about is accurate four-fifths of the time and uh you mentioned 538 you know 538 said that uh, four-fifths is 80 percent and Hillary Clinton had an 80% chance of winning the election and had that turn out. So, uh, well, well, yes, I don't need to remind you, and I know you're being yeah. a little facetious, but that means that one out of five times the, the yeah. person is not going to win. So, I mean, exactly. that's actually fairly logical. <laughs> but anyway, um, the other <laughs> – damn it. Why do you have to bring that up? Um, the other article is from the New York Times, and it's really super interesting. It's by Stuart Miller, and it's actually looking at what happens when a playwright – births a show and then after that initial 
run, whether it's on Broadway or off Broadway, uh, it goes out into the regional theaters and how much control they have, how much control they want to have over what gets done in those productions. They, the article Stuart Miller talks to David Lindsay, a bear, Rajiv Joseph, Lucy Thurber, Sarah rule, Lynn Nottage, David Henry Wong, and a bunch of other playwrights, um, about how regional theaters reinterpret, maybe even adapt, uh, change the script and how those collaborations work, um, whether they appreciate that, whether they take the mammoth route um, and want it done exactly the same. Or, you know, we had that um, big dust up with uh, Edward Albee uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's a really interesting read. And obviously each different playwright has his or her own opinion on how this should be done. But I, I think it's so interesting. We spend so much time looking at the words of these people and we feel like we understand them um, somehow through their dramatic words. But we really don't talk to them very much. Um, obviously, that's something that Jan Simpson tries to do on her show. But compared to actors and maybe even directors, we don't really get their perspective on kind of the business aspect of theater. Um, and we kind of let their work speak for them. So it's really interesting to me to be able to see how these playwrights uh, – not only approach their works, but approach their legacy. Um, so it's a really great article. So I recommend you guys that it's not super long, um, maybe a thousand words, 2000 words. So, uh, uh, take a look at it. It's, it's definitely worth your time. Okay, Matt, what other news do we have? Okay, since we didn't have time to do a a weekly theatrical schedule yesterday, I did want to remind you that the Roundabout Theatre Company's Broadway premiere of Teresa Rebeck's play Bernard Hamlet begins performances at the American Airlines Theatre this Friday. Starring the great Janet McTeer, the show is directed by my man, Moritz von Stupenagel, and tells the story of the turn of the century real-life actress Sarah Bernhardt, not to be confused with the Sirius XM and former Roseanne uh, co-star, who embarked on an international tour playing Hamlet, a woman playing Hamlet uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, And then yesterday, the Manhattan Theater Club announced casting for two of their upcoming off-Broadway shows. First, the world premiere of Jacqueline Backhouse's India Pale Ale, which will begin performances on October 2nd. The show, directed by Will Davis, will star Purva Betty, uh, Anjal Desai, Nate Miller, Shazi Raja, Lapika Shah, Setha uh, Sridharan, and the band visits Alak Tawari. The next show will be the New York premiere of Eleanor Burgess's The Niceties, directed by Kimberly Senior. The show, which will begin performances on October 12th, will star Lisa Baines and Jordan Boatman. Um, and I'm just going to throw this out there. James, I have no confirmation on this, but um, apparently um, a certain six-time Tony-winning actress and singer had to cancel a concert for March that she was scheduled to do somewhere out in the country. And the notice to ticket buyers that was sent out mentioned that this certain six-time Tony-winning actress um, would have to reschedule the concert because she has a Broadway conflict. So uh, just saying. I'm not saying I'm just saying. So I I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down there. If you would like more information on any or all of these stories, please check out the show notes at broadwayradio.com. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. That's it. I know it sounded like I was going to say something else. 
but I wasn't. I just uh, forgot that I didn't have to say anything else after that. I'm trying to remember Audra's name. My name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us, and Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.